The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a weight problem? Now, when you look at the scale, you might be thinking I'm talking about this kind of weight, but I'm not. I'm not getting that personal with you. <laughs> I'm talking about this kind of weight, you know, where you're anxiously looking at the clock or maybe the calendar, waiting for something to take place. Now, if you think about it, there's a lot of times when we have to wait in life, like waiting at the DMV or waiting in the store or at the fast food place and somebody in the front of the line can't quite make up their mind what they want and so it just delays everything. Or maybe it's waiting in traffic or waiting at the doctor office, whatever it might be. We have to do a lot of waiting. Now, what do you do when you wait? Well, for some people, they take out the phone and just start doing email or texting or whatever it might be. Some people might find something else to keep themselves busy, like uh, playing a game or maybe looking at those uh, magazines in the grocery store to find out who was the latest one to give birth to an alien. Or if it's a really long wait, maybe you just bring a chair and you decide you're going to sit and wait for a long time. So we have ways to maybe kind of distract us while we're going through that waiting process. But sometimes waiting can also be kind of frustrating and you get angry and upset and want to take some action or maybe just quit and walk away from the whole thing. Waiting. We do a lot of waiting. Last month, we spent the whole month looking at those important foundations of our faith, which give us the certainty of our salvation. Well, just like the weather now has changed and we're in a new season, we're in a new season of the church year also. And I'm not talking about Christmas, although if you go to the stores, of course, you see Christmas things. The other night in channel, uh, channel surfing, I found a Christmas program that was already on. But before we talk about that first coming of Christ, the church says this is the season when we talk about the second coming of Christ. And so my question to you is still there. Do you have a weight problem? In waiting for the coming of the Lord, what should we do? Well, based on those wonderful foundations of faith that we talked about and stand on firmly, we know that we can live victoriously while we're waiting in these last times. And today I want to focus our point on this. We're waiting. And while we wait, we'll work. The passage I'd like to share with you today are words that the Apostle Paul gave to a young pastor by the name of Titus. He gave him words of instruction for his own ministry, but also words of instruction for the people that he was pastoring. Here's what Paul said. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait 
for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Waiting. When you're waiting for something important to happen, there are different reactions. Like if you're waiting for the dentist to show up or to sit in that chair, you might have a little bit of anxiety or fear of what is going to happen. On the other hand, if you're looking forward to meeting somebody that you just love to be with, you're quite excited for that event to happen. Well, what are your feelings about meeting the Lord? What are your, what's your view of the Lord's return? Knowing that the scripture has pictured it as a time of destruction and devastation of this whole world, maybe there's a little bit of fear. On the other hand, knowing that it's the Lord who's coming back to welcome you into paradise, maybe there's that sense of anxiousness. But yet, as we think of the Lord coming back, and maybe he's going to come back and just take us away through death, maybe we're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm not ready to go yet. I want to stay a little bit longer. You know, there's some things I want to do, places I want to go. There's people I want to be with a little bit longer yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to go. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, who wrote our words for today, in writing another letter to the Philippian Christians while he was in prison and expecting that he might die, wrote this. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they say attitude is everything. He said, we're eagerly awaiting that Savior because that's where we belong. That's where our citizenship is. And that's why in our text, in his letter to Titus, he said, this is our blessed hope. Well, what is it that's so special about that, that we should wait so eagerly? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us there are three things that we should look forward to as we're waiting for the Lord. The first is his glorious return. Now, I know that there have been books written about this and movies produced about it, but I think really you just need to go back to the words of Scripture themselves as they reveal it to us. Jesus told us what his return will be like. He said, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, the last couple of days, we've had some dark clouds hanging around here. But it brought us what we wanted, some rain. But I wouldn't say that those clouds were all that glorious. If you have ever flown on a plane and gone up above the clouds and see them all stretched out over the horizon, now that is glorious. And then the sun is shining down on them. Wow. That's what Jesus was picturing his return to be like. Glorious like that. But he would come with all power and glory. In another place, Jesus said, 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Imagine that what that might look like, with ranks upon ranks of myriad of angels. Wow. And, here he, and there he is on his throne, demonstrating his authority and his love. What a thrilling experience that will be for us to see that. Now that's what scripture tells us his return will be for us to see. And when you think of that, then with Paul you'd say, yes, I'm eagerly waiting for that to happen. I want to see that. I want to be there. Well, there's also some more. Paul tells us that when all that happens, we can eagerly look forward to our final redemption. Now, as we're going through life here, we know that there are difficulties, that there are hardships. And sometimes when we're going through hard times, we say, I can't wait for this to be over. Well, Jesus reminds us that when he's coming back, all those troubles and things that we've experienced here are going to be over. <laughs> because our final redemption is about him taking us out of this world of suffering and troubles to give us eternal life. Paul pictured it this way. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. Now in the Bible, the word mystery means simply, you can't figure it out, but God has told you all about it. He said, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. So this body, which wears down and wastes away, is going to be made to be imperishable. It'll never perish. It'll never go through any of those experiences we have now. And it will be immortal, living forever. That's that final redemption. When God takes us out of death to give us eternal life. Peter also talked about that. Or I'm sorry, Paul also talked about that when he said this. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. The bodies now that we have that are full of aches and pains are going to be glorious like Jesus' body. We're eagerly looking forward to that, aren't we? To have a body that's perfect. But there's even more. The apostle also reminds us of that eternal reward that we will be given. Peter writes, we've been given new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Never perish, spoil, or fade. We are so used to that happening. Whether it's the food we put in the refrigerator or the computers or the cars that we use that break down or, or our bodies that run down. None of that's going to happen in heaven. Everything is going to be like brand new and the next version all the time. That's neat when he says this inheritance is kept 
in heaven for you. God has it set aside for you. It's not like he says, well, I have an empty chair, so if you want it, you can come and get it. But you know what? If you don't get it, I'm just going to give it to somebody else. No, God says, this is set aside for you. Paul talked about it also. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. There Paul is saying, not only am I going to experience this physical change, but there will be a spiritual change too. I will be given the crown of righteousness. I will be holy and sinless like Jesus. I won't lose my temper. I won't say the wrong thing. I won't do this or that is wrong. I will be perfectly holy like Jesus. The Apostle John spoke these words about heaven. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So those sad emotional experiences and disappointments, they're gone. Never will we have that again. Wow, what an eternal reward we're getting. A new body, a perfect soul, and a fresh mind. Now, if you look at that verse, you notice I have the three dots there because there were some other words that were spoken. Now, to, to think about you know, uh, uh, the new physical change, the, the spiritual life, and the new emotional life that we'll have, wow, that's great. But there's one thing that tops it all. Look at what is inserted in those three dots. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The best thing about heaven isn't that we have a new body and, and a fresh soul. The best thing is God is there, and we are there with him. You can't top that. Now, aren't you eager for that? Would you really want that delayed to keep experiencing something here? And yet, we know that while we're here, there will be things that we experience that are also unpleasant. Listen to how Timothy describes the last, I mean, Paul describes the last times to Timothy. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I'm sure glad he put a period there or that line and stopped. 
Boy, looking at that list, doesn't it sure seem like we're in the last days? Why would we want that? Let's eagerly await what God has in store for us. Our attitude should simply be, this is what is coming. Yes, in the meantime, while we wait, all that other crud is going on. But don't let it change your attitude toward what is coming. Listen to what Peter wrote when he was describing the last times and our life now. He said, though you have not seen him, which means you're still here, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Despite all the crud that's going on, despite the troubles and challenges we face, think of that blessing that's coming. And God said, that will fill you with love and a joy that's inexpressible. But how can we get all of that now? Well, Paul reminds us that while we're waiting for the Lord, let's also remember to wait on the Lord. That means to rely on him. Listen to what he said. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait. We need to rely on the Lord to help change us while we wait, to reform our character and our conduct. Paul said, the grace of God teaches us to say no. Have you ever noticed how you don't have to teach little kids how to say no? It seems they figure that one out pretty well. Now, it's probably because they hear the word no a lot themselves from us. Yesterday when I was in the airport, there was a, a mom there, and she had a little tyke with her, maybe two. And uh, she was just trying to let him get some energy up before we got on the plane, and Boy, he was just wandering all sorts of places, and she'd have to run after him, and she'd have to say, no, no. Then she'd pick him up and start dragging him back, and he'd go, no, no. He wanted to do his own thing. Well, that's what's inside here. A sin nature that is so easily overtaken by temptation, right? I mean, when you're tempted... Do you always say no? Or do you go, well, maybe I could. Everyone else is. You know, we are so sinful that we don't even recognize all the things that we do that are sinful. We are so sinful that we won't even call our sin sin. We'll call it a choice, a decision, an opportunity. But it's grace, Paul says, that teaches us to say no. He goes on and he writes, While we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's grace that changes our character to say no to those worldly passions, to what he called ungodliness. That ungodliness is, if you think about it, it means you don't have God. Would you want that? I don't have God. I don't know God. I don't want God. I want the world and what it offers. But grace says, remember who you are. God has redeemed you. You are his very own, it says. If anybody has ever lent something to you to use, aren't you careful with how you use it so that you don't ruin it and that you give it back in good condition? I mean, it'd be bad, right, if we misused it and broke it. We'd feel bad. God has redeemed us. We are his body and soul. Let's say no to temptation and yes to godliness. As we are waiting, we also go through difficult times in life. So not only do we need help with God to reform our our character so that we are more godly, but we also need to rely on him as our refuge for those troubling times that we experience. Because just as sin that can become a trap to pull us away from God, so can those troubling times disrupt our faith and trust in God and take us away from God. The Apostle Peter noted that to his writers when he talked about the second coming of the Lord. He said, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's telling us that now we will go through some various trials, trials of different kinds, health, finances, relationships, whatever it is. But God also says that during that time, he's going to be there as our refuge. He will be there to refine our faith. And so we rely on him during those times of difficulty. When we're getting ready for something, maybe it's a trip or it's some special event, we do a lot of preparation work, don't we? I mean, we're thinking about it, we're planning ahead, we're thinking about what we have to take, where we're going to go, and even when we get someplace, we have to make sure that everything's already planned out, that I have a hotel, that I have a car, where I'm going to go and do things. But when it comes to our salvation, guess what? It's already prepared. There's nothing we have to do, there's nothing we can do 
because Jesus did it all. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you there so you can be there with me. And he tells us what that way is. He's the way and the truth and the life. His life was lived for us so that we have his righteousness simply by faith. Our sins that would separate us from God have been removed. So we're not separated from God. And death, he's conquered it with his resurrection. It now means eternal life. So we simply need faith in Jesus. Remember that story Jesus told about the wedding that was going to happen? And the groom was going to come? And the five, ten rather bridesmaids were supposed to get ready? And only five of them did. Only five put oil in their lamps. And they were allowed into the wedding. The other five, they waited. And they didn't have that oil. And, say, and so they were not let into the wedding. While our salvation has all been prepared for us and the invitations have been given, we need that faith. We need faith in Jesus. And as we're living our life now, let's show that we're ready with a character that's reformed to fall in line with God's will. And as we go through the struggles and the challenges of life, let's simply rely on him. So while we wait for the Lord, let's also wait on the Lord. And then one more thing. While we're waiting, let's also work for the Lord. It's interesting to note the number of times that Paul, in, in talking about the return of Christ, uses the word we and our. He's reminding us that we're all in this together. It's not just about me. It's about we. It's about us. And so he urges us to encourage one another in our faith. At the end of the chapter in his letter, 1 Thessalonians, where he was talking about the return of Christ, and that, might, by the way, might be a good chapter for you to read today or tomorrow, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At the end of all of that, he gives the, this encouragement. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Gathering together to encourage one another in our faith. We just heard about that in the letter that was written to the Hebrew Christians, where he talked about how some of them were giving up meeting together. That was their habit. But he said, don't do that. Rather, get together and encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yes, we might be living in the last times. Boy, you look at that description that Paul gave, and you look at what's going on in our world, it certainly feels like these are the last times. But I don't know that for sure. It could still go on another thousand years. But I do know this. The day of the Lord is always getting closer, never farther away. So let's encourage one another in our faith, as we're doing here. When you hear the crud that's going on in the world, or the challenges that happen in your own life, 
then go to church. Because that's where God is going to strengthen your faith. He also has more for us to do, too. In the verse right before what we were looking at in what he wrote to Titus, Paul said, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. He was talking about living our faith in such a way that other people will want to know, why do you have that hope? Why are you so positive about things? Why are you so certain? And it's our opportunity to share Jesus, to talk about the life he lived for us, the death he died to take away our sins and assure us of God's blessings and his resurrection that gives us eternal life. That's what we're about. That's what God wants us to do. And so while we are waiting, let's show we're ready. With a character that lives to his glory, with a busyness that shares the gospel with others. You know, we're getting into that holiday season now, and people start thinking, okay, what are we going to do for this Thanksgiving? What are we going to do for Christmas? Well, as people ask you and as you start going about your planning, make sure Jesus is evident in what you do. It's thanksgiving, not just being thankful. Come and give thanks. Christmas is about Christ. Come and worship him. We have so many great opportunities. This is like the busiest time of the year for the church with stuff going on, all the special services and concerts, uh, Christmas for kids, the live nativity, our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Lots of opportunity to simply invite somebody to come. Lots of opportunity for you to say, I have some time to give, what can I do? That's what we do while we're waiting. We work for the Lord. Amen.